All right, our first passage this morning is going to come from Matthew chapter 1. If you want to open your Bible to Matthew 1, we'll start there, but then we're going to quickly move to Genesis 16. So if you want to mark Genesis 16, that's where we're going to be this morning. It's Christmas time, it's December. Uh, a lot of people, this is your favorite time of year. And for preachers and for churches around the world right now, preachers have been preparing a sermon series probably centered around Luke chapters 1 and 2 or Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Because out of those four chapters in the Bible, we have the birth story of Jesus or the incarnation. So this is a time of year where people are a little more spiritually aware maybe than they normally would be at other times of the year. Maybe people will come and try out a church or pay closer attention to who God is and what this great plan of salvation was all about. Our approach the next few weeks, uh, the theme verse comes from Matthew chapter 1. And we're not going to get all into Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We will do that here in a few weeks. But I just want to read to you the key verse, which is Matthew 1, 23. This is as the angel is speaking to Joseph, telling him he's going to have a child, name him Jesus, and then all this is going to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says from Isaiah chapter 7. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means what? God, God with us. You see it on the PowerPoint. Uh, I have Emmanuel with an E. A lot of you probably have Emmanuel with an I, but I'm preaching from a new revised standard version. They spell it with an E, so that's what we're going with on the PowerPoint slide. Emmanuel. That's what we want to focus on the next few weeks is, what does that mean? God with us. How do you understand that? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to this world? We know in the fullest sense, Emmanuel, God with us, means Jesus becoming one of us. But even before Jesus, we're going to look at some Old Testament stories. We're going to look at some of the family tree of Jesus, some of the names that we see, and glimpses of how we see God with us even before this, this birth account. In the 1992 Olympics, some of you were alive and remember this. There's a man named Derek Redmond. Uh, who was running the 400-meter race, was favored to probably win a gold medal. And, uh, you know, Olympic athletes work extremely hard for a long period of time to get to that point. So the race day came. It was time to run. He takes off running. He makes it about halfway through the 400-meter race, and all of a sudden he pulls up in pain and falls to the ground. What we find out later is that he pulled a hamstring, but he's on the ground in pain, and so they finish the race, but all these medical professionals and trainers run over to him, and you see him get up, push them away, and then he keeps going. He's dragging his leg behind him, his hamstring is badly injured, but he's come all this way, he wants to finish the race, he knows he's not going to win, but he wants to cross the finish line, and then all of a sudden, if you're watching, you can watch this on YouTube or something, this guy from the stands runs up out of nowhere, pushes the security guard aside, runs right past him and right up to Derek Redmond and then puts his, puts his body up under Derek Redmond's arm and they finish the race together. Now you see in the video, Redmond looks at this guy, overwhelmed with the whole situation. When he makes eye, eye contact with who this guy is, he just breaks down crying because he realizes that's his dad. His dad ran from the crowd, ran over to him on the track, grabbed him and they finished the race together. And so you had this iconic picture from Olympic history 
of Derek Redmond and his dad finishing together and the crowd cheering for him. And obviously he didn't win, but his memory goes on. And when I look at this picture and I remember this story, not to try to sound too corny, but this is kind of what I think of when I think of Emmanuel, God with us. This picture, this idea, what does it mean, God with us? And how do we see glimpses of that even in some of these characters who are either from the genealogy of Jesus or loosely connected with someone from the family tree of Jesus. So we're going to look at Genesis 16 to kind of get an idea of what Emmanuel, God with us, means. Starting in verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Going to my slave, girl, my slave girl, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. I'll give you a little background on the story if you haven't read Genesis in a while. Uh, God has chosen Abram, who will become Abraham, to, we know him as Father Abraham. He's going to have many descendants. Right? But the only problem is Abraham is, or Abram is getting older in age and he doesn't have children yet. So here in Genesis 16, Sarah decides to take the situation into her own hands. And she, because of their time in Egypt, apparently owns a servant named Hagar. And she says, well, take Hagar to be your wife. Have a child with her. And coming out of that Mesopotamian culture, you know, Sarah knew that uh, the child would legally be hers. Sounds like a pretty bad idea, right? I mean, there's nothing good is going to come from this. Take her, but have her as your wife also. Have a child through her. Nothing good will come from this. And we see that there's a lot of fighting and tension that takes place in verse 4. Uh, Hagar conceived when she saw that she had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. Obviously, there's some jealousy between Hagar and Sarah. So Sarah blames Abram in verse 5. In verse 6, Abram says, She is your slave girl. You can do with her as you want. So Sarah dealt harshly with her. We're not sure what that means. Maybe she made her workload unbearable. You know, maybe she punished her. We don't know. But Hagar's response to all of this was she ran away. She just takes off. We know usually that when we try to run from our problems, that's not the best solution. But this is what Hagar chooses to do. Maybe she has a lack of education, maybe life experience, and she's being treated harshly. She doesn't understand all of it, so she just runs off by herself. And then we get to verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So here we have... This Egyptian slave girl who's now pregnant and she's by herself and she's in the wilderness on the outer borders of Egypt all by herself. That just sounds like danger, especially in the ancient world. But an angel finds her. An angel appears to her. And throughout Old and New Testament, even in the story of the birth of Jesus, we see angels showing up. But here... Taking count in the Bible, this is the first appearance of an angel. The first time an angel appears to a human being, and it just happens to be a minor character. Hagar is not one of the main characters in the plot of Israel. Hagar really 
is nobody. But yet an angel shows up. So I think this says a lot about the character of God. So he's not by herself. So the angel says to her in verse 8, Hagar, slave girl of Sarah, names that. And he says, where have you come from and where are you going? I love those two questions in verse 8. Where have you come from and where are you going? Those two questions have been really important for me in my life. Mainly because when I look at Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus says multiple times, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. Those two markers gave identity for Jesus, gave him his singular focus and the most intentional life ever lived because he knew where he came from and he knew where he's going. So the angel asks Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going? And then she just, she just says it. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. In verse 9, the angel speaks to her and says, return to your mistress and submit to her. Go back to where you came from. Don't run from your problems. Go back. But the angel gives her a blessing, and the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring so that they cannot be counted for the multitude. And the angel said to her, now you have conceived and you will bear a son, and you will call him Ishmael. Ishmael's name means something. In our culture today, when we think about names, often we don't know the meaning behind the names, but Ishmael means God hears, which is important to understanding the story as we go on here. But given the name Ishmael, God hears, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction, or the Lord has heard your cry, Hagar, while you're by yourself in the wilderness. You have, now you have conceived and will bear a son. Call him Ishmael. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. I'm reading from NRSV and I'm editing as I go along. Uh, his hand is against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live at odds with all his kin and that is true. I think it's interesting that half the world's population right now traces their lineage back through this family Orthodox Islam traces their family tree back through Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. Jews and Christians, we trace our lineage back through Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. They're going to live at odds with each other. And then I think verse 13 is one of the more peculiar passages in the Bible. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. That's not something that we do very often or maybe even something I would feel comfortable doing or, or advising you to do is to name the Lord? She names him. That's like saying, you're the God who helped me pay my electricity bill, or you're the God uh, who helped change my flat tire. She gives him a name. She says, you're Elroy, and that's East Texan pronunciation, but really it's El Ruhi or something like that. Uh, you're Elroy. You're the God who sees me. That's what Elroy means. You are the God who sees or have I seen the God who sees me and I'm still living? There's variations of how we translate this name, the God of vision. Her son's name is God hears. She names God, you're the God who sees. That's something I hear quite often in my house. Dad, did you see me? Are you watching? Dad, watch this. When my daughter Addie was you know, early one, two, so around there. I can't even remember. It's all blended together now. But I wasn't used to little kids being in our house, and I wasn't used to screaming and crying. So my solution was give her a pacifier. And it worked. When we would give her a pacifier, she would stop screaming and crying. 
Well, that went on for a few years, and Addie really loved her pacifier. In fact, she loved it so much that she would keep a backup pacifier in her hand and a pacifier in her mouth at all times. This is the best picture we could find. You see the pacifier in her mouth and pacifier in her hand. So I started this bad habit, and as time went on, we were like, we got a breaker of this pacifier habit. We tried taking it away from her, but the screams got louder, so I'd always just go back in her room and hand it to her so she would go back to sleep. But Jessica read some articles, and you know, parenting articles, and one of them said, let her take ownership over it. Convince her that she needs to get rid of the pacifier. So for months, we tried talking her into this. You need to throw them away, Addie. It's time to grow up and put the pacifiers behind you. And one night I was putting her to bed, and she said, Dad, tomorrow morning... I'm, I'm going to throw away my pacifiers. And I was like, okay, we'll see. You know, what I'm really thinking is I'll see it, believe it when I see it. Went to bed. I woke up the next morning to her, like, violently shoving me, which is how I've woken up the last six and a half years of my life. And I got out of bed. Her and Jessica were already awake. And it was like a ceremony almost. She brought us into the kitchen. She had her pacifier and her backup pacifier. And she said, okay, today's the day. And she threw them in the trash. And she never asked for them again. So parenting articles online could sometimes work because that one worked. But what I found fascinating about that was that she could have just thrown them away and told us about it, right? But she wanted us to see her do that. She could have done it with Jessica and then told me about it, but she wanted me to be awake. She wanted both of her parents watching. She wanted us to see her do it right? Kids want to know that your eye is on them and that you're watching them unless they're doing something bad, and then they don't want you watching them. And in a lot of ways, our relationship with God is like that. We want to know that God sees us, understands us, unless we're doing something wrong, and then we'd rather God turn his face away. And in this Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, in the wilderness, she names God, and she says, you are the God who sees me. And then that well that was there, she names it after the same name, the God who sees me, the well of the living seeing. And at the end of Genesis 16, she goes back, just like the angel told her to do, submits herself and has the child and they name him Ishmael. Uh, Sometimes I, I study this story and I'm a little bit envious of Hagar because I think she experienced something that I constantly long to experience and sometimes second guess and sometimes struggle with. Does God really see me? I think for Hagar, we see that God sees her. He sees deep within her spirit. Right? And does God really see me? Does God really see you? Well, the story doesn't end there. We're going to pick up in Genesis 21. Uh, skip ahead over a decade, and all of a sudden, Sarah is going to have a child, and she's going to name him Isaac, and this child is through, this is where the descendants will come from, where Jacob or Israel comes from, right? But we still have Ishmael, who's still around, who's still a part of the household, and in verse 8 of chapter 21 is where we'll pick up, the child grew, referring to Isaac, and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So it was apparently in the ancient world, that's something that they celebrated. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. You know, we're, we're not exactly sure what that means. Was he being rough with him? 
Was he being harsh with him? Was he making fun of him? We don't know, but for whatever reason, that jealousy is still there, and that bothered, that bothered Sarah. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman will not inherit along with my son Isaac. Doesn't make Sarah sound too nice here. Verse 11, the matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son, and this is not the first time or not the last time that Abraham is going to be distressed because of his sons. Verse 12, God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because the boy and because of your slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she says, for it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named for you. And as for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation out of him also, because he is your offspring. So God says, listen to your wife, listen to Sarah, do what she says, send them away, but I will still protect them. Verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread, a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, which Ishmael was probably a teenager at this point, sent her away. She departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So all these years later, and Hagar finds herself alone in the wilderness again. Now the first time she was a young pregnant girl, the second time she has her child with her, but she's still all alone. She has some water, she has some bread. Where do you go from there? Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes, you know, most commentators say, kind of had this image of this teenage boy dying of thirst and hunger in the wilderness and her dragging him under the bushes. And then she goes off, opposite of him, a good ways off, a bow shot away. And she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite of him. She lifted up her voice and she wept. It's been many years since she named God El Ruhi, El Roy, you're the God who sees me. Maybe she's forgotten. You know, often we have these experiences with God, or maybe we feel the nearness of God, but then time goes on, and maybe we don't feel it quite as much. Maybe she's forgotten, but she finds herself alone again. Her child is dying. She wants to be far enough away where she can still hear him, but doesn't have to see him. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. So remember, Ishmael's name means God hears. And the angel shows back up in the wilderness again, and it's a word play on the name of Ishmael. God hears, or God has heard the cries. She, again, is not alone. She's heard. And when I was in seventh grade... I was playing football, and we had an A and a B team, and I was on the B team, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. But on our B team, after you know the progress reports came out, report cards, we lost half of our team. So we were down to about 11 players, which uh, means you're on the field the whole game. So I got to play a little offense. I played fullback, and that probably means nothing to a lot of you, but what it means is occasionally I would get the ball. So we're playing in Terrell, Texas. Our games are at like 5 o'clock on Tuesdays, which hardly anybody can make, not that they would even want to come to the game. But if for parents who are working, it's hard for them to go out of town and make a 5 o'clock game. Well, early on in the game, they handed the ball. It was pro 24 zone was the play, which means it was going to me. I just lowered my head, started running from the 25-yard line, and the next thing I knew is I was falling down in the end zone 
and the referee was signaling touchdown. That was my first touchdown I ever scored in a game and my last, so it was pretty significant. Uh, you know, it felt like the crowd was going crazy. It was probably 20 to 30 people in the crowd, but it felt like a lot of people. After the game was over, when we got home, the first thing I did is I went to my dad, who knows football really well, and I just said, Dad, did you see me? You know, I wanted to know, were you watching? Did you see it? And unfortunately, because of work and because of picking up my brother from school, he was a little late getting to the game, and he said when he pulled up, he could hear everyone cheering, and he said he thought to himself, oh, I bet Jody just scored. And then he said he rolled down the window, and he heard them say my name over the PA system. So he said, I didn't see it, but I heard it. And for whatever reason, I found satisfaction in that. You know, he didn't see it, but he heard it. He felt it. He was there. like He, he knew it was me, and, and that was enough for me. And the second time in the wilderness, not only is he the God who sees, but he's the God who hears. He's heard the boy crying. He's heard Hagar. She's weeping. And then verse 18 of chapter 21, Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. So out of nowhere, here's a well of water. You're no longer going to die. God has provided Water, but what we're told is that she opened, or that the angel opened her eyes. And that sentence there on the PowerPoint, open her eyes so that she could see, well, duh, that seems obvious, but think about it. You are the God who sees me, and now he is the God who is opening her eyes. Did the well just magically appear? Or had the well been there the whole time, and because of her doubt and distress and her painful situation, maybe she just didn't have the eyes to see it. But here, God has opened her eyes so that she can see that he's the God who sees, the God who hears, and the God who provides. She's not alone. God is with her. He's seeing her, he's hearing her, and he is providing for her. And then the boy grows up, you know, he becomes his own nation, and then we don't read much more about Hagar. You know, Paul mentions Hagar and Sarah in uh, Galatians chapter 4 as an allegory. But other than that, we just don't know much about her. She's kind of a minor character in the story. But in this story of Hagar, we learn a lot about what God with us means. And then you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's Christmas time. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And through Jesus, we see that he... God sees us, he sees his creation, he hears his creation, and he provides. And in the ultimate form, the way that God provides is he provides himself. He's born, he becomes a human being, and he goes to great lengths to reach us. And then you look at the ministry of Jesus, and who are in the crowds? Who are the type of people that are drawn to Jesus? People who are down and out, people who find themselves in a similar situation to Hagar. Those are the people who are broken and hurting and coming to Jesus. And the message they receive, the message we receive, is that God sees you. God hears you. He's with you. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a, another woman. This time it's at a well. 
And he offers her this invitation, this promise, that if she comes to him, she'll never be thirsty again. And that invitation is the same for us. Uh, This morning we're going to sing another song, and we just want you to know that we will have shepherds who are around our room, elders of this church, who are willing to meet you, who are willing to pray with you. You can come up front if you have any needs. I'm going to invite you to stand up. We're going to invite Tony back up here, and we're going to sing another song.